This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Paul Bruno here with Andrew Fiorentino, and we are the Great Ones. Today is January 28th, 2016, and we are on the eve of the All-Star break. And, Andrew, I credit you with a really neat idea today. You want to take us in a bit of a different direction with the All-Star Games new format, front and center, the three-on-three thing. I'm really not good. I'm going to be open. I'm not watching this game at all. Can't, <laughs> can't stand the format, but I think the... the oh, you, but we're going to see, I mean, right, if you, you know... If you're a hockey purist, and I understand that like there's there's different ways of being a hockey purist, but if you look at you know, the beauty of the game, uh, by which I think uh, I'm talking about stick handling and passing, uh, three on three is the perfect format to showcase those things. It might well be in this case, and and I've been, certainly enjoyed it as the alternative to the shootout and solving most of the uh, games this year, rather than seeing it seeing that. Uh, stupid shootout thing happened. <laughs> uh, I'm glad the three-on-three solves a lot of the overtime situations, but, you know, they're monkeying around with the all-star game format, and I think they got to just maybe make it an all-out skills competition eventually to, to satisfy me as a pure <laughs> fine. But, uh, you know, uh, the big names are certainly going to be on showcase, uh, except for when one or two that are dropping out. It seems like Ovechkin is uh, by the wayside now, and that's that's a sad omission because he brings a lot to to the event uh, just by some of the things that he does that uh, add some color to it. So I'll miss him, but certainly it, it's a great showcase for the other other players around the league as well. Yeah, absolutely. And as we'll discuss later, uh, Jonathan Taves also dropped out uh, right. today of the All Star Game. Uh, last year's All Star captain, Jonathan Taves. Yeah. Uh, so let's go into this. Uh, in honor of the All Star Game's new format, 
think it'll be interesting to discuss with Paul, who's old enough to have seen a little more of these players than I maybe I have. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Where's that bus that I just got thrown under? That's nice. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about uh, today's players versus historical players, three-on-three mashups. We're going to assume that both sides have uh, identical clone goalies, uh, clones of Dominic Hasek playing goal for each side. And so here's the first matchup from the Today team. Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, and Eric Carlson against the team of the past, all obviously in their primes. Wayne Gretzky, Gordy Howe, Bobby Orr. Paul? Well, I love this matchup. You talk about – let's let, let, look at it one-on-one. Crosby and Gretzky, to me, very similar talents. They have the highest of hockey IQs, and they do things on the ice that you don't see other centers do too often, particularly in the offensive zone. Gretzky was the first guy, for instance, who used to do the, the turn into the sideboards – and then hit the lagging trailer coming in from the point with a with a clear opportunity at the net. It seemed like he drew players with him all the time. Crosby does that a lot, too. And then you look at the right wingers, uh, Ovechkin and Cordy Howe. They would just as soon go over you as around you. And, and the power in their game is truly underscoring two of the very best power forwards in the history of the game. There's no argument there. Then finally, you've got Carlson and Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr opened up the mobility of the game for defensemen, and Carlson has taken it to another level where he's leading scorer for the Ottawa Senators, and the, sen- the linchpin for all the offense that flows through that team seems to go through through their captain, and uh, very reminiscent of Bobby Orr. So it's a great matchup. I give it to the, the new breed, though, because they, they the other guys are 30 years older than them, Crosby, at least. <laughs> well, we're putting them back into their prime years. I, no, I assume They're using that. the time machine. I assume that. It's, it reminds me of a quick story I'll share really quickly. I met Ace Bailey years ago, one of the guys who had his number retired by the Leafs, and I asked him, how many goals would you score in the modern NHL? And he says, about four or five. I said, what are you talking about? You were one of the greatest. He says, yeah, but I'm 85 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. But anyway, uh, I, I like the uh, the modern uh, trio to beat the legends in this case. I just think that... that uh, the way that the puck movement uh, is taking place now is, is uh, way different than it was uh, back in the day of these three gentlemen that we uh, hold as icons in the sport. They, they played in, a, in an era where the individual skills of players were almost uh, very differently applied. And I think the, the guys now are lending, lending themselves more to a team game that's very free-flowing. And I like the, the chances of Crosby, Ovechkin, and Carlson in this matchup. Yeah, it's interesting uh, to look at, for instance, uh, the stats of a Bobby Orr. Uh, you know, as, as uh, our listeners may know, uh, six consecutive seasons uh, over 100 points from the blue line for Bobby Orr, which is, I mean, just insane by today's standards. But of course, you look at you know his best season, 70-71 with Boston, and uh, there were four, three other guys on his team that scored 100 points. You know, he wasn't uh, doing it all by himself there. Uh, Phil Esposito had a, a 76 goals and 76 assists in 78 games that year. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, somehow he didn't make it into this list of matchups yet. Maybe we need to figure out where Esposito slots in. Exactly. Yeah, um, your your point just... on Orr is interesting, if I may interject, though. Yeah, yeah. This is a guy who, who changed the way defense was played, first of all. Second of all, he, and to offset kind of that, he came in to Vogue at a time where the X, and NHL expanded from six teams to 12. And people were arguing, even at that time, Andrew, 
that there was a dilution of talent that kind of inflated the scoring statistics. So, so you have to weigh that in a little bit in terms of what he and, and the big bad Bruins were able to do. Certainly even Gordy Howe uh, benefited from that expansion era too, where in his 40s he had some of the best years of his career, if you look at the record. And we don't have to tell you about Wayne Gretzky. He was far and away the most prolific scorer in his era. But he also benefited from further expansion and the most terrible era of goaltending in hockey history, <laughs> uh, where the average goal, goals against in his era was no less than four per game, and, and that's double what it is now almost. So you have to weigh what they've done in context, but certainly the, the, the fact that they had such a margin over the rest of their peers at that time makes them the Mount Rushmore of the NHL, in my opinion, that trio. Yeah, today's goalies are certainly a whole different breed. It would be quite the adjustment uh, to see with uh, you know the likes of of Orr and you know uh, uh, even Rocket Richard, like guys who are just really just winding up and and opening fire. Uh, and today, today's goalies stop ninety five percent of those shots. Uh, you got to beat them on rebounds. You got to beat them on deflections. Uh, it's a totally different uh, kind of game. I also I'm gonna I'm also gonna gonna give it to the to the new guys. Uh, we're a young crowd here. <laughs> Although, I don't know, no, you know, I, I kind of want to go back on it. Okay, so here's the thing. I think Gordy Howe is going to just maul Al- I mean, Alex Ovechkin is a strong guy, but Gordy Howe was a, a destroyer, uh, you know, a, a battleship in human clothing. Uh, that guy, I, I, I think he takes down Ovechkin, uh, Gretzky outstick handles Crosby, uh, and Oren Carlson match up pretty evenly. I, I like your assessment of Gordy Howe. It seems like you you may have watched a few highlights. I remember seeing him when I was a little kid, and uh, he would make a habit of taking guys into the corner with him, and you would watch the action, and all of a sudden they'd come out of the corner, and the other guy would have a bloody nose. You'd never know how the hell did it happen. <laughs> and Gordy would come out with the puck, and he'd play with one hand on the stick and change, and he'd always be on his forehand. Uh, he, could, he was ambidextrous, and he could play the puck with one hand on the stick and hold the other guys off with the other, it seemed. So he was a real uh, throwback in terms of what we see now with the guys being able to hold players off. You don't see, you didn't see that too much in his era. He was probably the, at the leading edge of all that, and uh, his longevity speaks to the fact that he was one tough son of a gun, but also very skilled and the highest of hockey IQs. So... Uh, I hold him in the hot, with the highest respect, Mr. Hockey, that moniker very well earned by by one Gordon Howe. Yes, indeed. All right, let's go. Let's move on to the next matchup. We're not going to go through too many of these, but uh, I think this is good stuff right now. Uh, on the on the side of the youngsters, we have. Uh, I almost went with the full Blackhawks trio, but then I switched. Uh, I'm going with Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, and instead of Duncan Keith, Drew Doughty. Uh, who I consider the second best all-around defenseman uh, in the league right now, uh, versus Mario Lemieux, Bobby Hull, and another big-time scoring blue liner in Paul Coffey. This time I'm going to go with the oldsters, uh, Andrew. I, I think Mario Lemieux, for me, is one of the same, same ilk as uh, Ovechkin and Gordy Howe, the guy that would go around you or over you or under you. You just find a way to get it done. Big body, marvelous skills. Uh, try to get the puck off him. It was impossible. Bobby Hull, uh, credited with be- being one of the guys that invented the slap shot. He could score from center ice now, I think, <laughs> with, with his big clapper. And, and then Paul Coffey, he uh, took what Bobby Orr did to the next level in terms of being one of the best 
skaters. He was a figure skater that knew how to play hockey is how I be- would best analyze his play. And I think this trio would mop the floor. Oh. Kane, Taves, and Doughty. I think the big edge there goes to Paul Coffey over Drew Doughty. He'd skate circles around Doughty, and no doubt in my mind. I'm certain that we, we want to cover the fact that Taves and Kane have a great chemistry. They have the great, the, the great young trajectory to their careers. We've talked about the fact that they're Hall of Fame worthy already. But Taves, I don't think, I think he would have a hell of a time managed, uh, trying to keep uh, a rein on Mar- Mario Lemieux. And then Kane uh, would probably be tossed aside by Bobby Hull with regularity. <laughs> Bobby Hull uh, wasn't that big a guy. I'm surprised. But he was up now. strong, strong yeah. son of a gun. Oh, my God. <laughs> ah, strong, strong guy. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, you know, the the one thing that Lemieux and and Coffee have going for them too is that they played uh, a little bit uh, closer to this era, uh, so they've they've seen a little bit of the game tightening up uh, that hole. Maybe wasn't really around for. Um, that's, yeah, I don't know. I I find it hard to go against Patrick Kane right now. He's just so on un- on another level this season. No question. But, he's he's a pure scorer uh, in the greatest tradition of, of that. Moniker uh, Taves, you can't argue with the fact that he isn't the most dominant leader on ice leader in the league. Yeah, I mean now, they're like a modern Gretzky and 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 the uh, Messier. Yeah, I think that's a great comparison. Yeah. I really do. Uh, and I mean, really, no one—I don't know if anyone has scored at the pace that Kane is scoring at right now. We're talking about uh, 1.38 points per game, super high for for this era of, of hockey. I don't know if even Crosby or Ovechkin have done that. Uh, Crosby would have approached it, I think, but uh, that would be the approached. The yeah, you know, yeah. well, he had 120 and 79, so that's yeah, so that's that clears that, it. But yeah. that's that's back in 2006, you know, that's a, yeah. a while yeah. ago. It's yeah. been a long time since somebody did what uh, what Kane is doing right now. Yeah, and and you mentioned he's doing it against top level goaltending. I don't think we've ever seen the quality of goaltending that you get night in, night out in the NHL. So that really puts another asterisk in uh, in the Kane column to what you just said. And I tell you, it makes playing daily fantasy sports a total crapshoot, uh, this this era of goaltending, because you can never, uh, who, who are you to predict who's going to score the goals on any given night? It's it's complete uh, <laughs> randomness to me. And just like the other night, Carolina shuts out Chicago. Yeah. Who would have predicted that? 5 nothing whitewash, and yet there's the Carolina goaltending getting a shutout. I Eddie don't Lack. Yeah, Eddie Lack is a fine goalie. But I wouldn't put him in the top ten in the NHL. By Not any. even close. And and there you go, whitewashing one of the teams that I think is going to be there when we talk about the last four teams standing this year. Absolutely. Um, another uh, sticking to another All Star themed item. Uh, I'm already shaking my head. I see the script here. <laughs> <laughs> NH, don't tell them we have a script. <laughs> <laughs> NH, so Dan Rosen of NHL.com, uh, if, if you don't know, a very prolific writer for NHL.com, uh, put out his uh, all-time three-on-three teams for uh, a number of decades, or in the case of the 2000s, uh, the last uh, 15 years, 16 now. Uh, so he put out his all-time three-on-three team for this decade plus, and we're just start on the first line here, because I've got problems. I've got issues with it. I'm not happy about it. So the first line is Sidney Crosby, Jerome Ginla, and Nicholas Lindstrom. Now I understand. I understand that Jerome Ginla, Sidney Crosby, played together in the Olympics, played together in international competition games maybe. I don't know. 
But Jerome McGinley does not belong in the first line of the all-time team of the last 15 years. I'm sorry, he doesn't. Not over Alex Ovechkin. No, I agree with you completely on that one. And I think uh, we're looking at the chemistry of these two combinations when they drew drew them up and and calling to mind the success that Crosby and Aguinla have enjoyed on the international stage. Uh, Certainly Nicholas Lidstrom, I don't think I have a problem with with choosing him as a top-tier defenseman. Yeah. Yeah, so defenseman of his generation. So the other pairing that they have up front, though, on the second unit is Ovechkin with Malkin, and I can see why they did that too. I mean, keeping the Russian powers together might be another uh, nod to, toward chemistry. But if you're ranking the best for center, the best winger, they've got them in the wrong order, as you suggested in this case. And certainly, again, no quarrel with defenseman Scott Niedermeyer as the second defenseman on this team. So yeah, well, yeah. I'm gonna. I'll tell you what. So the third line is Joe Thornton, Martin St. Louis, and Chris Pronger. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to knock Joe Thornton off this list because if Getty Malkin's getting knocked down to the third line, and Pavel, Pavel Datsuk should be in there as that second-line center. Interesting, I think. They've still got the Russian connection, Yeah, so you can't take that away from him. And he's just a better player than Malkin, period. He takes a hit for the fact that he's been injury-prone in the last few years. I think that's well, why. He's old, you know, Malkin. Yeah, and I think people forget just how consistent he was. And, and all you got to do is watch what this guy does in the shootout there. I mentioned the shootout in a favorable sense. But uh, <laughs> what he does uh, tr- truly gets him a nickname of the magician with the puck. And a lot of players still believe right now he is still the most individually skilled offensive player on any NHL roster. And that's saying a ton when you put it in the player's hands, to come up and say, who is the guy that has the skills above all others right now? And the, the name Pavel Dasuk still comes up, Andrew. So a great pick, I think. Yeah, uh, and just as importantly, name. I think you have to look at the, the two-way play of Dasuk. Uh, Malkin is a guy who I have personally watched uh, get knocked off his game defensively, uh, commit stupid penalties, uh, these are not things that that will happen from Pavel Datsuk, especially in playoff games where we've seen them happen uh, by Evgeny Malkin. Uh, strong feelings about this. Uh, you get down to the third line, Gino, you and San Luis should be able to make some good magic. Yeah, I agree I'm, with him there. I agree with Pronger. I don't think you can say anything about those guys. No, the defense that, that they highlight here is three guys that really, I mentioned the Mount Rushmore concept. In the last 15 years, I don't think there's anybody that can even challenge these three guys that's out there currently. And, uh, boy, full value for those three picks. I really like them. And then we have the goalies. Yeah. And, uh, and I've got something to say about this, too. We'll see if you have something to say about it first. Uh, Martin Brodeur and Roberto Luongo. Yeah, I, I like these picks. Certainly, Brodeur played in front of a team that, that catered to him more than any other goal he's been catered to in the history of hockey. I think they built their structure around the fact that they had a pretty good goalie there, and the Devils' format had a, a lot to say with with this guy's statistics. I'm not taking away anything from him. For my money, he still ranks as one of the greatest goalies of all time. I think Roberto Luong, though, it's a little bit... Uh, miscast in this role. I think he gets the nod just because he's still around and has piled up the wins, but I think there's a bunch of other goalies that you could look at here, and and I'd like you to think about uh, possibilities in that regard. And I'll tell you that I already have thought about it, and uh, really, I mean, honestly, there's not even a contest to this. When you look at uh, career numbers, uh, when you look at just like the the success that he's had as you know as a you know cons- on a consistent basis 
Henrik Lundqvist is blowing Roberto Luongo out of the water. <laughs> there it is. You know, I, I thought I served it up a 55-mile-an-hour EFIS pitch, and you knocked it right out of the park there. i got to give you credit for that one. <laughs> I, I mean, was the, the consistency the and the, the consistent superiority of Lundqvist from the moment he stepped into the league you know, to this very day is, I think, unmatched by any goalie uh, currently in the league and, and approaching, to say, any goalie in history – uh, you know, obviously there have been a lot of great guys who had great runs. I'm not saying Henrik Lundqvist is the greatest goalie of all time, but when you look at what he's done, the consistency of the statistics that he's put up, I don't think that he's second to anyone except for Brodeur in modern NHL history. Yeah, I'm not going to argue the point in the last 15 years. I think you're right to say that, and I, I think, but I think Lundqvist does benefit from the same fact that I mentioned with Brodeur. The Rangers, for most of, of Lundqvist's career, were a defensively oriented team. They were a pop gun offense for much of the time. <laughs> they've, they've added a little muscle to their offense in the last couple of years, and that's directly related to the fact they've gone on extended playoff runs most recently. But uh, Lundqvist certainly makes them a tough out night in, night out, and that's something you can't say about too many goalies over the last 15 years. Uh, I, I think it's a really good comparison, though, Lundqvist and Brodeur. Same kind of goalies in the same kind of situations. Uh, Brodeur would object to that. He's always been a critic of Lundqvist's style uh, from from when he came into the league. And then there was like a number of years later, he was like, all right, I guess he's kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> well, he and Patrick Waugh had a lengthy, Patrick Waugh had a lengthy rivalry with him too. So uh, Brodeur is a guy who gives no quarter when it, when it comes to opinions. And uh, Patrick Waugh is in the same boat. Lundqvist, more of an agreeable guy, but uh, on the ice, very comparable to what Brodeur has done. So uh, good picks in that regard, I think. And, and I, I would agree with you. We got a bump. Luongo down to at least third on that on this list. You know, speaking of Bradour, the Devils have, you know, they found, um, it's amazing how quickly they found a really capable replacement for him in Corey Schneider. Uh, but they're they're still struggling this year from the same troubles that they had last year. Yeah, you like this transition, just smooth. smooth I'm sound. really I'm I'm really glad you mentioned Corey <laughs> Schneider because he looks at Martin Bradour and Roberto Luongo and says, "I played second banana to both these guys." That's right, and, and yeah, not many guys can. Nobody else can say that. And then he's the first banana now, and he sure deserves it. But it's been kind of a, an up and down season for the Devils. Uh, you know, they were getting some surprising production from some names you wouldn't expect it from. It's kind of tapered off. Uh, now they're kind of on the fringes of the playoff picture, uh, just outside. Uh, it's been a little bit of a, a wasted year in New Jersey, you would say. Uh, I think the, that's that's your opinion. You wrote that right here. I did say that very clearly, Andrew. Thanks very much. Uh, <laughs> I think we can talk about that for a minute because at yeah. the beginning of the season, when we gave our assessment of the teams in the uh, in the Eastern Conference, I wondered what New Jersey was trying to do here. They they filled in their roster with some older players up front, uh, some talented players, and they, and they the likes of Lee Stempniak, uh, Mike Camilleri. They're going to score some goals on the power play, and they've hurt teams with their special teams, and they've got a couple of mobile defensemen, but they continue to play that sound defensive structure, but their ceiling was, was no better than a 500 team. So I wondered, really, why did they have to go and load up on these 30-somethings that had the high upside? We'll see at the trade deadline if they jettison a couple of these guys and, and try and acquire some, some younger assets in return or draft picks. But uh, I, I was wondering a long time ago what New Jersey was up to with the signing of some of these guys and in front of uh, Schneider, who we knew was going to be a really solid goalie. 
Yeah, I think if you're the Devils, you're in sort of the worst possible position right now. Even though you're close to the playoffs, you know, you look at the makeup of your team, and you say, that unless our goalie really puts us on his back, really is just giving up one or zero goals basically every game, it's just not going to happen. And so it's way better to finish in the cellar than it is to finish in ninth place in the conference. Boy, you've been reading the local papers here in Toronto then, I guess. Because <laughs> Toronto owned the ninth to twelfth spot in those standings for years. And, and yeah, and that's the disaster territory. And that's, you know, you go to another sport, uh, my Jets uh, never seem to, to really, like, f- get that big pickup from having, a, you know, the number one overall pick. They're always in the middle of the pack, and it's, it's a bad place to end up. Yeah. Well, the Leafs did it right this year. They blew, blew their brains <laughs> out and uh, picked up some of these low-end uh, guys to fill the third think, and yeah. yeah, and and so we'll see that uh, what they're hoping now, too, people are saying, okay, the Leafs are at the bottom, but they've also got Pittsburgh's pick, Andrew, and guess who just crept into the last playoff spot in the Eastern Conference? If the playoffs end today, the Penguins are the eighth seed, and that's just ideal for the Leafs because they'd get a second pick in that first round with uh, the Penguins' choice go up going their way and as a result of the Kessel. So I'm crossing my fingers that the standings stay the same as they are today and uh, that my Leafs get an uptick at the trade at the draft table. I have zero doubts that Pittsburgh makes the playoffs. I think it's, it's a lock. Well, I hope that they stay right where they are. They don't need to move up anymore for me. <laughs> <laughs> they might move up a little bit, though. They've got, they've got room there. Well, and uh, you mentioned Malkin and Crosby. The one-two punch in Pittsburgh has really caught fire. First, it was uh, Malkin carrying the team, but now Crosby has uh, got the got things going. A little magic with him and Patrick Hornquist on that that first line, and uh, and that spells trouble for the rest of the league. This is a team that also dealt with some injuries on the blue line, and uh, with uh, with their goalie Mark Andre Fleury. But all hands seem to be on deck, or for the most part, and. Uh, they're taking a real run at things, as you, as you suggested. Uh, we'll see how high, how high they can go. Yeah, I think Crosby uh, finally has gotten back in the groove. I don't know what, what he was missing early on. Maybe he was just pacing himself. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, he's really settled in, and uh won't be any surprise if we look up at the end of the season and we see 90 points from Sidney Crosby, assuming he can stay healthy. Yeah, that's going to be quite a scoring race, I think, before it's all said and done. Uh, looking at the injury situation in Pittsburgh, Chris Kunitz is day-to-day, but he should pick up a spot back on the top line. And, and like we th- said, when they picked up Carl Haglin, I know you've had your doubts about this guy in other circumstances, but we have both agreed that th- this might be a situation where he ha- has proven to be a better fit, and he's enjoying some good early success with uh, Malkin and Kessel. Uh, pretty a formidable trio there, I think. Yeah, Haglin's got assists in four straight games. Been shooting the puck a little bit. Uh, it's been he's been doing good work so far in Pittsburgh, and very telling that those four assists, two of them came on Phil Kessel goals. One is a Crosby goal, and one is a Malkin goal. So he's playing with the right guys uh, to gain some fantasy value there. I still don't think he's going to poke too many goals of his own home, just because he doesn't have a great shot when he scores. It's usually by by the rebound, the poke in, uh, and that's all right. That's uh, there's certainly. Uh, plenty of room for that in the league, uh, but uh, I think we're going to see a nice assist-heavy stat line from Hagelin over the rest of the year, which should should pay nice dividends for fantasy owners. Andrew, another team has turned the corner, and that's the Anaheim Ducks. A few weeks ago, people were wondering, is this team going to make the playoffs? And now they've reeled off a, a couple of successful streaks, and they're in a playoff position, or very close to one as we speak today. And uh, full value for that, I think. This is a team that much was expected of them, and now they're starting to play like a team that should be a top-end team in the Western Conference, don't you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the acquisition of David Perron has really made a difference for them over the last few games. Uh, for his first four games, he had a couple of goals, three assists, uh, plus four rating. Looking really good, uh, playing some top-line minutes uh, with Ryan Getzlaff. Uh, he's been a difference maker for a team that, as we know, uh, has really struggled at left wing and really had no answers there for, for quite a while until picking Perron up from uh, the Penguins. And, you know, one other thing needs to be mentioned there. We always think about the dynamic duel of Getzlaff and Perry in Anaheim. They've separated these two guys now, and they're getting more, more bang for their buck with, uh, with a more potent offense as a result. And uh, I think spreading the wealth has been a real boon to them. And I'm pleased to see that Chris Stewart is getting a first-line opportunity. I've long believed that this guy is a power forward with a scoring touch. You've got to give these guys some, a chance in, in a top line scoring situation to see what you got in them and I think he's starting to pay a little bit of a dividend there and certainly putting Perry on a second unit has elevated the play of, of the likes of Patrick Maroon and Rickard Raquel they're getting a lot of mileage out of Raquel in terms of productivity that we wouldn't have forecast at the beginning of the season and that gives them two solid forward lines and and in front of them and behind them rather you've got a quartet of offensive minded defensemen and that's with with Ken Fowler on the IR. So they've got a real wealth of talent back on the blue line. And in net, we've seen the emergence of John Gibson, a guy who's bypassed Patrick, uh, Frederick Anderson on the depth chart and has put, it, put together a fine season with a sub-two goals against average and four shutouts to go with, uh, with a really fine ledger there. So they, they got their ducks in a row in Anaheim. Yeah, I think splitting up Perry there, I just said, left. Did you get that? Of ducks uh, in a I row? got I that. I thought it was pretty clever. No, uh, I... I was going to overlook it, but we can. Ah. That's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, sometimes things get stale, uh, even with stars like Perry and Getz left to split them up. Uh, I have no doubt that they're going to end up uh, back together at some point. Uh, and the other guy who I think has really been boosting Anaheim is uh, the young defenseman, Shea Theodore, that they brought up. Uh, they just sent him down uh, to get a little bit of AHL action over the break, but he's going to be right back up with them after the break, you have to assume. Uh, he's been on fire lately. Uh, the last six games, six points, a couple of goals, four assists, getting good time on the power play uh, right away in his NHL career, making them really not miss Cam Fowler. Yeah, and you know, you make a touch on a really interesting point with Theodore because a number of players over the All-Star break, a number of the young players with options will be going down to the minors to get some more seasoning and playing time. And so don't be alarmed if you see on the tra transaction wire a number of guys have gone down in the last couple of days. Like you mentioned, they'll be back up uh, once the All-Star All break is over. And uh, that All-Star break couldn't have come any sooner for the Montreal Canadiens, Andrew. This is a team that's in full-on disaster, uh, full disaster mode right now. Last week, Mark Bergevin, the GM, came out and made a stand in front, uh, defending his coaching staff saying, I guarantee that I will not be firing any coaches for the balance of this season. Put this on me, he says. I don't think it's a great move, Andrew. Uh, I know Carey Price is out of the lineup, but this team has put together the worst record of all 30 clubs in the NHL this year in the last 30, uh, 25 games. And uh, a healthy Carey Price only masks the fact that they have inadequacies all over this roster. Well, right, but the inadequacy is aren't uh, Michelle Therrien's fault, they're Mark Bergevin's fault. And so if he's saying, put it on me, well, it, it should be on him. Uh, he, he made this mess. He created this team that has no scoring depth, that has uh, little blue line depth, that, that has, uh, you know, 
not, just not enough at, in a backup goaltender situation. A team that's really built around Carey Price and only Carey Price. And, uh, yeah, if anyone should take the fall for this, it should be the GM and not the coach. Well, and that's why I think it was a bad move. He's exposed himself. <laughs> well, I think uh, it's a fair move. Uh, we just don't often see people act uh, in, in you know, unbiased ways against their self-interest. I think that's what he's doing here. Yeah, clearly. And, and, you know, he gets marks for that, for being a stand-up guy and all the rest of it. But they're talking about <laughs> now, and, and now the patchwork solution that they're talking about and considering, this is where it gets a little murky for me. They're talking about to potentially making a big trade to shake things up. Who are they going to hold out as a prospect that can go the other way? The name that I'm hearing is Alex Galchenyuk. This is a guy who was third overall in the draft a couple of years ago, and he's had a steady trajectory to his early part of his career, maybe not reaching the level that they want as soon as they want it, but he's still got shown me that he's got a lot of moxie in his game and and, uh, a higher ceiling than, than what he's shown to date. Then to give up on him early, in addition to what they did earlier this season, getting rid of Jared Tenorti, in a nothing deal. That's another top draft pick that they that they mailed away. That's these already are, is nothing. These are the these are the kind of moves though. You can't get rid of your first round picks for nothing. You got to get something significant in return. And if they're talking about using Galchenyuk to get a rental player like uh, an Eric Stahl, even I don't know that that's enough value because I think Stahl's on the downside of his career and and uh, will come in with a big ticket. So they got to be careful with the kind of move that they're contemplating if they if they look to make a trade of any sort uh, to, to right this ship uh, going forward. Yeah, I don't think that Galchenyuk is a, the smart kind of trade ship. If you're looking to shake things up, uh, what exactly are you going to get back for Galchenyuk that's going to make your team better? Uh, it seems hard to sort of hard to buy that, that it's going to work out like that. Uh, but, you know, they, they do have some chips to trade at least. Uh, you could look at uh, Michael McCarron, Charles Udon, Noah Juleson. Uh They have a few prospects that they could... Uh, they could offer up uh, for a decent player. I don't know who they're going to go after, but uh, maybe they're a team that makes sense uh, for the uh, Jonathan Duran sweepstakes. Certainly do. And, you know, Andrew, and I'll, I'll take you back to a bit of a discussion around uh, Eric Stahl and Cam Ward, for that matter, in Carolina. This is another team that falls into the New Jersey situation for me in the East, where they're on the cusp of playoff contention, but they also have a chance that, that they could turn some, around, some of these big assets around into into future prospects or or big bargaining chips at the at the trade deadline. Uh, I think they should be looking at ways to parlay these guys into future assets because even if they make the play, uh, playoffs as a fringe team, it's doubtful they're going to go far. Where do you stand in that equation, and and what do you think they could get for one or both of these guys? Yeah, I'm with you. I don't think that uh, Carolina has really got it in it to to, uh, to make a deep playoff run. I don't like Cam Wardle down there. I know that he's got a history. It was a long time ago now. Let's forget about it. <laughs> it's never happened. <laughs> uh, you know, any lack, I don't know if is is you know a prime time goaltender as we discussed earlier. Uh, you know, you look at these Hurricanes. They have a lot of pieces they could sell off, and it's not just uh, Eric Stahl and Cam Ward. Uh, Christopher Stieg, I think, is a trade candidate uh, as a veteran winger who could definitely help another team and has won before. Uh, you know, even uh, and. And I don't know where they stand on this, but even even Jeff Skinner is you know a young guy, but a guy that they could potentially get an enormous package for that might help them ultimately as a franchise. Yeah, I like Skinner a lot as a player. He shown uh, showed me uh, over extended periods where that he could be a dominant power forward type player. 
with a lot of uh, offensive upside too, and, and it's gone missing uh, in long stretches in, in Carolina. So that guy might benefit from a change in scenery. Scenery, and if he goes to the right place, boy, will they be sorry if he uh, rejuvenates his uh, his career. Uh, he's got a hell of an upside, in my opinion. Yeah. Andrew, we typically give a nod to uh, our company Rotowire, and you do the honors every week. I'd like you to take a shot at that again today to tell our listeners where they can find some great work by our peers. I always like the the intro. Um, <laughs> I have fun with it. Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> As you guys may know, having listened to our podcast every single time religiously, uh, like you do, if you go to rotowire.com slash pod, you can pick up a free 10-day subscription to Rotowire. You can check out our other podcasts. You can check out our player notes. You can check out our exclusive article content across a, a multitude of sports I've given you the list many times before, and I won't this time. Rotowire.com slash pod. Paul. Excellent. That takes us to the stud of the week and the rant of the week. Uh, I'm going to give you credit here, Andrew, again. You made the call on Jack Eichel as being one of the top rookies to watch out for this year, and he's been full value uh, with the Buffalo Sabres, producing 34 points in 50 games played. What will surprise our listeners is not those totals, but the fact that over the last five games in the entire NHL, he's the league's leading scorer. He's got seven points in that stretch. That's pretty good productivity, particularly for a guy who's already a featured player, only a featured player on a rebuilding club, I'll say. Uh, It speaks very highly of the U.S. developmental program and the fact that the NHL is just like our show. It's 50% represented by Canada and 50% by the rest of the world. (laughs) <laughs> well, I tell you, I uh, I don't know if I can take that much credit. Obviously, Jack Eichel. I, think, I am. Uh, so you a lot of pe- <laughs> I, uh, That's a lot of people saw that coming. Uh, so I don't. I don't uh, put a. I don't give myself a special prize for it. That said, this uh, this hot streak he's got actually dates back all the way into the middle of December. You go look over the last 18 games. He's got 20 points in that span. Uh, so Jack Eichel is really starting to clip along nicely in much the same way that I think uh, Connor McDavid would be if he, he hadn't been knocked out by that injury. If McDavid will be back soon, we'll be able to resume the argument about which one of them is going to be the better man. But what a rookie, rookie class, Andrew. We could spend a lot of time talking about the Dylan Larkin, Artemi Panarin, Anthony Duclair, and McDavid. Uh, these are young players, none of whom has reached their 20th birthday yet. Uh, bodes well for the fact that, that they're developing at such an early age, coming into the league with such high skills, playing against men and showing well. And it doesn't need, uh, they don't need a Canadian passport necessarily. These <laughs> players come from all over the world, and that's a great boon to the sport of hockey. It's truly evolved into a worldwide game. Yeah, these guys are uh, looking very mature at an early age, uh, which has not, you know, broadly been the case uh, in the last uh, 20 years in the NHL. The guys who come in at that kind of young age and, and excel right away tend to be the exception rather than the rule before these last couple of the years. True enough. Uh, Andrew, though, i got to turn my attention to something that the NHL needs to get right, and they need to get this right real quick. I don't know if you saw the highlight with Dennis Weidman the other night. He ran a linesman from behind. I saw it. Unbelievable. i got to ask myself, what was this guy thinking? This is a horrible on-ice incident that must be dealt with swiftly and harshly. If you didn't see it, he took a hit in the defensive zone from the opponent, wobbled a little bit, but made his way toward the bench on a line change, and he absolutely wallpapered a, referee, uh, a linesman from behind. 
and there's just no place in the game for this, no excuse for it, and I hope that he gets hit with a suspension that takes up most of the rest of the season. I have to say, uh, I have an entirely opposite view on this. And that's what makes this show great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I saw him take that hit, and I I think he might have uh, suffered a concussion on that hit. I don't think he had the first idea what was going on as he was skating to the bench. And and then he comes up and the, and is right behind the linesman, and it's almost like he uh, just, like, turned a corner and ran into somebody. And he just threw his hands up in surprise, ends up cross-checking the guy. I don't think that's what he was trying to do. Uh, a little uh, where am I, what's happening moment, I think, for Dennis Weidman. Uh, so I, I'm not going to give him any blame for it. Uh, I think it was an accident. Oh my God! I'm I'm not taking that flimsy argument. I hope I hope we see you in court and we'll have a, <laughs> a battle over this one. It'll be interesting to see how it turns out. But they've got the league's got to protect their their referees. I can't believe that he would have done it intentionally, but it certainly. If you look at like it, it, he was skating with his head down, and then when he he's like an inch behind the linesman, and he's like, Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, he got everything up, and the stick drills the ref, and yeah. it's just it's horrible optics. And they got to do something about that. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I heard I've heard your side of the argument too uh, in the media. That was my that was my judgment from watching the tape. Uh, I, I didn't I haven't read too much opinion about it. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's been quite a subject locally here, and and sure. people are weighing in on both sides of the equation. So it's interesting that we both represent. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. Uh, Fine way to end the show, though, because it's great when we disagree. Just as sometimes it's great when we agree too. We just make the case stronger that way. But uh, the great one's great, Andrew, and I hope you agree. That's a wrap for another episode of our show, Rotowire's Hockey Podcast. For Andrew Fiorentino, I'm Paul Bruno. Thanking you for giving us a listen. Come back to catch the next episode of our show next week. So long, everybody. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-Blade Razor and Shave Gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.